In this agreement, reaffirm our shared commitment to securing independence for Scotland and to giving people the right to choose our country's future through a referendum. This deal would see the Greens entering government for the first time ever in Scotland or anywhere in the UK. We really must seek to do things differently. We must build a fairer, compassionate country. The SNP and the Scottish Greens have recently agreed a power-sharing deal that sees two Green MSPs serve as government ministers for the first time anywhere in the UK. With this new deal, a promise of an independence referendum within five years has been made. Whilst there's been much discussion about how independence may affect the economy, the environment and healthcare in Scotland, there's been no discussion in the media about how this will affect students. This podcast aims to change that. My name is Jonty. I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Edinburgh and I'm a presenter and the social secretary for EUTV. This podcast is a collaboration between EUTV, the students and Fresh Air Radio. So I'm delighted to be joined here today by Adam Losecote from The Student and Samuel McLeod from Fresh Air Radio. Hello to you both. I hope you're well. Would you like to introduce yourselves to our listeners and the stance of independence you're representing today? Yes, hello. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm a senior editor for the opinion section of the student newspaper. I'll be representing pro-independence side. Hi, I'm Samuel. I'm the station manager of Fresh Air, the student radio, and I'll be representing the pro-remain side. Thank you guys so much for joining. It's so great to have you here today. So the first thing I want to discuss is our poll that we did. So early this year, just after the Scottish Parliament elections in May, our three societies conducted a joint survey online to gauge how students felt about independence. We found that 87% of students voted in the election, which is far higher than the national average turnout of 63%. We also found that 65% of students support independence, and 71% of them had faith that Nicola Sturgeon could deliver independence for Scotland. So I guess my first question is, what do you make of these results? I think in terms of polls, it's probably not surprising that that number is slightly higher because the, the, the number of people or the types of folk who will respond to a poll are the same folk who will go out and vote in an election. So that's you know something you face with any kind of poll. Um, the numbers, obviously, I'm quite happy with and they do reflect the national trend, but enhanced, of course. Um, you see in every poll that's come out for the last seven or eight years you know younger folk support independence um and across the wider population as well you know building on this there was a poll the conservatives did a couple of days ago now that they tried to sneak in between news broadcasts because they didn't like the results 61 percent of folk in this tory poll are in favor of an independence referendum within the next scottish parliament and you can see this number reflected in what students think you know, 71% of folk having faith in Nicola Sturgeon. That's an approval rating unmatched by any other politician in the UK. You know, it's, it's without question. This, this is going to happen and support is there for it, especially among the demographic who will be most affected by it and have the most to gain from it. I think probably a, a good thing to mention at the start is that these numbers are, as you said, um, numbers we just got from people responding to an Instagram poll. So they're probably not entirely representative of the, the whole student population. Um, but still, it's encouraging to see such a high turnout, especially with all the kind of rhetoric around low student turnout and things like that. It's nice to see that that may not be so founded as we go forward 
especially in Scotland, where students are a bit more politically engaged um, with the referendum and stuff, with the, sorry, the independence referendum and stuff like that. Um, the 65% supporting independence and 71% having faith, faith in, in Nicola Sturgeon could be a reflection of the university itself. You know, the political environment in the University of Edinburgh might be different to the political environment in other universities. Um, but yeah, it does remain to be seen how that will actually turn out in a national poll because we did see like in the first referendum campaign, the polls were, they were kind of a varying quality. You had, you know, 20% support for independence at the start of the campaign, rising to, I think, 55% in the, in the, late, in the last polls before the election. And of course, the final result being 45%. Um, so there's a lot of swing and it'll be interesting to see how that actually turns out in, you know, an, an actual national poll. It, it does fit the trends, though. Support for independence has been constantly on the rise. You know, I, I think only one or two polls have really shown any serious sway in that. And even then, those have fit the trend within those polling agencies. Every poll has been on an upward trend for independence. So there's, there's really nothing out there making a strong case against, certainly not that's being reflected in the polling. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, the polls have been pretty consistent. It will be interesting to see how things like the kind of vaccine rollout finalising changes things, because obviously that had a big effect on, on polls, I guess, a couple months ago when that started going out in earnest. Um, so when COVID starts to become less of the kind of forefront of political political life, it'll be interesting to see how that changes things, because I think a lot of the kind of passion for independence and pushing Nicola Sturgeon forward as a candidate has been around COVID and how Scotland has dealt with it against England. So once that's no longer at the forefront, it'll be interesting to see whether these numbers continue or whether they just kind of fall away. Thanks so much, guys. It's a really good start to the podcast. So moving on to my next kind of topic to discuss, how Scottish independence may affect university students has not been discussed too much in the media in recent times. However, during the previous independence referendum of 2014, one thing that was discussed was how independence may affect university funding. So my question to you guys is, what do you both think about independence affecting university funding? Do you think it would increase, decrease, or not affect funding at all? I think there's a couple of things here, and it also ties in with, say, Brexit and how that's affected university funding, um, because that's undisputedly kind of lowered European funding, I think, for universities um, and things like Erasmus. It'll be inter interesting to see whether Scotland being removed from a UK science budget or a UK kind of university funding budget will change things. Admittedly, I'm not entirely sure what the economics of that funding are, but I would imagine it would decrease it just in terms of, you know, how big the UK is compared to Scotland. But there's also, I guess, an argument to be made that there are quite a few kind of big, rich Scottish universities that could sway that in the other direction because you've got, you know, Edinburgh with a 400 million kind of just pot of money sitting there. You've got St. Andrews, obviously a fairly rich university, Glasgow, and it might be that that sways in the other direction, just kind of as a proportion of all the universities in the country. So it'll be interesting to see that. To an extent, I agree. Uh, personally, I don't really see university funding undergoing any major changes. Um, like Samuel was saying, the larger universities, Edinburgh, Glasgow, St. Andrews, are absolutely capable of funding themselves. Edinburgh has a shocking amount of income. And they, they're not really relying on students for any significant part of that. The number of properties the university owns that they rent out are turned into hotels during the summer months. The uni does not struggle for funding and it would take something apocalyptic to change that. Smaller unis, uh, places like UWS or Cali, they might see an impact, but 
there's absolutely no reason why the Scottish Government couldn't replace those itself post-independence. It'll have its own budget, a budget likely larger and more flexible than the one it's operating with now, when it has all the fiscal levers and borrowing powers that just about every other country in the world has. Places like UWS and Cali have very strong business ties. That's one of the large advantages of folk who go there. You know, a lot of STEM subjects do fantastically well there because they have these such close relationships that then allow folk to go straight into working. So it suits these companies to support places like UWS and Cali because they're they're ensuring themselves a well-qualified workforce. I don't really see a large change to funding at all, I think, and any changes that are are absolutely fixable. Do you want to just challenge the idea that Scotland will inevitably have a larger budget post-independence? Um, because obviously right now, per capita, Scotland spends more than, than England and Wales and Northern Ireland, I think. And yes, there's an argument to be made that with more kind of fiscal powers, more borrowing powers, Scotland could close that gap and close that gap in kind of funding. Um, but it, there's no guarantee there. And certainly as it stands... Scotland would be in a worse financial position than it is currently. Sure, it could change in the next kind of, you know, five, 10 years. But even with that, there's going to be five, 10 years of struggle before that comes to pass. No one's saying it's all, it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows on day one after the independence vote. It will be difficult for a couple of years. But look at where we are now. There are food shortages, there are driver shortages, we can't get supplies in. I work in a supermarket and I've never seen the shelves as bad as this, not even during the start of COVID. How much worse can it get? You know, if all the scaremongering that we were given in 2014 has come to light now. As I, I, think, I think it's clear that independence is not going to cause the kinds of problems that we were all warned about. There will be difficulties, absolutely. But with a budget, with all the fiscal levers, uh, Scotland already has one of the most progressive income taxes in the world. And with independence, with full power over that, we can increase taxes on higher earners who absolutely can afford it. And that will make up any shortfall. Uh, The new Scottish National Investment Bank, which is in the process of being set up, will also be able to pick up shortfall in these kinds of areas and invest in long term solutions to any problems that we we encounter. Um, Yeah, I really don't see any long term problems, certainly university funding wise, but generally that can't be fixed. Okay, that's a really interesting discussion. So Adam, you mentioned about um, how the big universities, at least in Scotland, have enough money and aren't really affected by tuition fees, or at least they aren't affected by funding from the students themselves. So I thought I'd just ask a bit about that. So for listeners, um, I'm sure most of you know already, but uh, Scottish students currently have their tuition fees for university covered by SAS, which essentially makes their tuition free. However, students from England, Wales, and Northern Ireland pay the rest of the UK rate of £9,250 a year. Scottish students also pay this amount if they go to university outside Scotland in other parts of the UK. And until recently, EU students did not pay tuition fees studying in Scotland, but did for the rest of the UK. And in return, Scotland had a reciprocal agreement where Scottish students could go and study in EU member states uh, for free. International students, however, currently pay far more per year than students from the rest of the UK at around 10 to £30,000 a year, depending on their course in university. So my question to you both is, do you think Scottish independence could affect tuition fees for those studying in Scotland? Again, I really don't see a huge change. Starting with Scottish students, free university tuition is such an integral part 
of the SNP's policies and their manifestos. And it is a colossal part of the reason why they have remained in government and won every single national election for over 14 years now. It would be political suicide to even consider taking this away. Look at the Lib Dems. Don't betray the students because they are the, one of the most active, um, most politically active demographics out there and they will punish you for it. You know, um, but from a non-political point of view, it's also just the decent thing to do. You know, looking at the UN Convention of Human Rights, I'm pretty sure education is on that list. This is a genuinely good policy which harms no one and has resulted in a plethora of people from a variety of backgrounds to go on and study in further education when they may not have otherwise been able to. If with the kind, you know, the kinds of fees that are imposed on English students and international students would have stopped an awful lot of Scottish students from attending university. It certainly would have made it more difficult for me. So yeah, I really don't see any change to this. I think probably something worth noting is that tuition isn't free in Scotland. It's just free for the student. The SAS still pays, obviously, I think it's 1800 right now to the university. And that 1800 a year. And that 1800 a year number already causes some concern with numbers of Scottish students because obviously international students and English students pay pay a lot more and there are you know caps on Scottish students at various universities and if university funding is squeezed at all by by kind of independence whether that's in the big universities or, or smaller ones that cap on Scottish students could very well go down because Scottish students bring in a lot less money than international students than English students and if there's any squeezes at all in university funding the only way to make up that shortfall might be to just deny entry to Scottish students. We have, I mean, we've seen that before in other universities, just with the cap kind of lowering. Um, and I think there's been points of contention between the government and universities about raising that cap, making sure enough Scottish students are able to go to university. Um, but I do worry that if university funding is affected at all, and again, we spoke about it not being affected to the big universities, but possibly the smaller ones, that that, could, that gap could widen even further. Yeah, I hear what Samuel's saying, but again, I'd have to refer back to my previous answer. You know, university funding, I don't expect, would suffer greatly. And it would if university funding did suffer, perhaps that would happen. But I don't see it happening. And as a follow-up question, do you think that the rest of the UK rate would remain the same, would increase or decrease? It depends on who sets the rate. If it's a government set rate then it depends on what the UK government decides to do. Um, just I, th I think the cap on Scottish students is government set. So it depends on governments making those decisions and changing those, both of which will carry heavy political prices. Now, Tory government in London doesn't really suffer much when it attacks students, but certainly the Scottish government owes its position in large part to students. So they would think very carefully before making any changes in that regard. I actually might think it might go down because the rest of the UK rate of 9,000 or roughly a year has been set by the Conservative government as like a maximum the universities can charge. And if the, an SNP or Labour government in Scotland is in charge of making those decisions, I imagine that could go down. But yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you'll have to allow me a wee chuckle at the thought of a Labour government in Scotland there. <laughs> I mean, well, we'll see after, like, if, if independence does come to pass, like, the main priority of the Scottish National Party will be kind of dead in the water because they will have achieved it. Well, th this is an interesting point because it, it's one that comes up often and it's one that doesn't get answered or rebuked as often as it should. 
the main priority of the SNP and of the wider independence movement really quite sort of ironically isn't independence. Independence is the starting point. It's not the end goal. We want independence so that we can fashion a new country, a country that prioritises the right issues. As you say, the SNP have such a broad range of opinions within the party, but that one unifying factor, is the reason they're so successful, in, at least in part, is that sort of drive for independence that unites them and keeps them, keeps them focused and moving forward. But moving away from that and back to uh, students, I want to talk a bit about the potential social impact of independence on Scottish students. So I wanted to run through some numbers of uh, where the students are from who are studying in Scotland. So in terms of university students, there are around 260,000 university students studying in Scotland. And of this 260,000, around 200,000 are from the UK, 20,000 from EU countries, and 40,000 are from other non-EU countries. Of the 200,000 from the UK, 167,000 are from Scotland, which works out at about 84%. 27,000 from England, or 13%, 4,000 from Northern Ireland, or 2%, and 1,000 from Wales, which is about half a percent. So following on from the previous question, do you think the Scottish independence would affect these proportions of students from these different countries? I imagine it would. Scotland would be a much smaller country, and depending on how university funding works out, how kind of research works out it could be a much less attractive country to come study in but equally you know it could also go the other direction be a much more attractive country to study in with you know several high-hitting universities and good research programs we'll have to see how that pans out i have to say i'm a bit surprised by the hundred what was it 167,000 from scotland i i hope that will go higher in in future years i think just on a population basis you'd expect like 260,000 ish to be in university at any given time. Those are back in the, num- the envelope calculations and could be well off. Um, but it'd be nice to see more students from Scotland going to university. And I imagine the EU numbers will, if we end up rejoining the EU as an independent Scotland, those numbers could go up because I imagine those right now are affected somewhat by Brexit. Yeah, I, I agree with most of those points. Um Post-independence, you'll probably see a slight fall in the number of English, Welsh and Northern Irish students coming to Scotland. Um, But those uh, university funding, assuming we stay the same, those spaces will still need to be filled. Uh, Universities will still be accepting applications and international students will have pretty much the exact same hoops to jump through to get into an independent Scotland as they would Brexit Britain. Um, Certainly at the start until different policies are in place. Again, I agree with the point about rejoining the EU. We can probably expect to see numbers jump quite a lot then. Uh, EU students will be more enticed to come to Scotland. Students from the UK may then be enticed to come back to Scotland for the hope of getting into Erasmus, as opposed to whatever half-assed solution the UK government is currently putting together. You know, um, we were talking earlier about uh, the Scotland and the EU having that free tuition reciprocal arrangement again we could probably expect that to make a return so Scottish students would then be able to go and study in Europe as well which is another massive bonus for students and another reason why students are quite predominantly pro-independence there's no real reason not to be in, in uh, favour of that yeah 
independence is hardly likely to throw up any further barriers to students in Scotland, with the exception of those coming from the rest of the UK. And as we saw from your numbers, they don't make up a huge percentage, a significant percentage, but not enough that it would be damning to the university system or cause any major issues. In fact, you may even see folk coming to study in Scotland and then using that as a stepping stone to go and visit and take weekend breaks and holidays down in England and Wales and Northern Ireland. So they could see a benefit of that because the, if it's easier to get into Scotland, then there's no reason why folk wouldn't ad- take advantage of that. There is, of course, the, the border worries with, with the UK and seeing how that pans out, especially between with Brexit, border issues are not easy to solve. Um, and with all of Scotland having a land border with the UK. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I, a, that's I think, a problem for, for a later time. But again, that's going off the top of the students. Um, so I, yeah. I'll stop this um, deflecting the podcast. But just to just on these numbers again, it's interesting. Are these the kind of Scotland-wide numbers, I assume? Yeah, so the numbers are for students studying in Scotland. So I should point out the 167,000 students are from Scotland. Those are students that are from Scotland and studying within Scotland. So the figure for Scottish people going to university will be higher because some do study in England, Wales, Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland, Europe, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I do wonder if in certain universities that maybe have a higher proportion of English, Welsh and Northern Ireland students, I think Edinburgh probably actually being among them, whether this might hit harder um, because if you have a much higher proportion of international students, of English students, if that drops at all, that's going to really affect student funding. It's really going to affect student numbers. Um, so I think, you know, like Edinburgh, St. Andrews are all kind of the ones I, I think to as ones that have more English students, again, with no proof. Um, but it would be interesting to see whether a drop in English, Welsh and Northern Ireland students does affect that more than it would other universities that maybe have more Scottish students than EU students. Uh, that's a very interesting point, actually. But I think if we look back at what we were talking about earlier, the same unis that have these really high percentages of international and UK students are the same ones that can absolutely absorb even a pretty large financial hit and come out with barely any change. Yeah, and I, again, I, I do think any drop in... English, Welsh, Welsh and Northern Irish students will be matched by an increase in international students, certainly pre-EU membership, because even though we're talking about how uh, universities don't get a huge amount of their funding from students, if your choice is an international student's fees or an English student's fees, what are they going to go for? I think you may be on something there. My final question to you is about the timing of the referendum. So Nicola Sturgeon has recently said she'd like the referendum by the end of 2023, ideally. On the basis that most students studying in Scotland at university study a four-year course, this would affect around half of students studying here right now. So do you think the timescale for a referendum is realistic? Yes, yes, I do. I think the, the independence movement is at a pivotal moment. So it needs to happen soon, but at the same time to bring over undecided and unsure voters, we need to be suitably far enough through the COVID crisis that folk are prepared to then consider these other issues. Student-wise, I don't really see any huge change. I'm, I'm loath to draw comparisons to Brexit, but look at 
Look at Brexit Britain on day one after the referendum. What changed? Nothing. Uh, look at what the, the deals with EU students in Scotland after the referendum. Absolutely nothing. The Scottish government committed to maintaining free tuition for them for the duration of their degrees. Anyone who's currently at uni in Scotland will likely experience very little change throughout the time of their degree. We probably can't really expect major changes in Scotland until three or four years after the vote anyway. Um, again, not using Brexit as an allegory because, you know, hopefully competent governments. You know, we'll see. But, yeah, uh, timing-wise, I think it's very good. Um, I made reference to the Tory poll earlier, which says 61% of folk are in favour of an independence referendum within the current Scottish Parliament. Now, that ends in 2026, but I see no reason why 2023 would make a huge difference there. I do just want to quickly challenge the idea that nothing happened on day one after the Brexit referendum, because of course nothing maybe happened day one after the Brexit referendum, but as there soon were as we a couple actually... Of marches, but... Well, right, but like the day we left Europe officially or, earlier this year, a lot more did happen in terms of, you know, border issues, in terms of shipping delays, in terms of, um, you know, lorry queues. Mm. There may not be anything that happens on day one after a referendum, but there could well be significant changes that happen on day one after actually leaving the UK. Um, and that may be the more important point to keep in mind. In terms of the actual timing, though, whether or not it's a good time, a feasible time, kind of hinges on the UK government at this point, and whether or not they give permission for Scotland to hold a referendum. And every single indication they've given is that they will not. So at some point, there's going to be a bit of a showdown. There's going to be a bit of a, you know, some political gesturing, and we'll see how that ends up. But if the UK government does decide not to give permission for Scotland to hold a referendum, then the SNP are kind of dead in the water. There's not a whole lot they can do there without holding what would essentially be an illegal referendum. So it's it's kind of nice to think about these numbers as, you know, 2022 will have a referendum. But at the end of the day, it kind of hinges on the UK government. And there's not a whole lot the SNP can really do to affect that at this stage. So I agree with your first point. Um what you're talking about, the timing, I, I do disagree with, but I'll come to that in a minute. Yeah, so um, the day after independence actually goes through, 100%, there will be changes. But I think this question was, you were more talking about interruption to degrees that have started and whether or not that will impact post-referendum. Oh, well, um, sure. In that case, yeah, there probably won't be any impact. Anyone who starts their degree after the referendum will possibly be impacted by independence, if we're assuming a four or five year timeline to sort everything out. But anyone who's currently in university, they'll be out. It won't affect them much. Um, but again, I, I would have to refer back to what, what, what happened with the EU students. You know, um, Scottish government committed to maintaining uh, the free tuition for them. Or, and they graduated as they would have otherwise. In terms of the SNB being dead in the water, if the UK government say no, to an extent, yes, but also no. Um, the longer the UK government say no, the higher yes support goes. The easiest way to get someone to disagree with you is to tell them no. On top of that, whether or not we actually need the UK government's permission has not been legally tested. Now, testing that legally would be a so a last-ditch move, but it is an option. 
and we can expect that if it goes to the court of session, they are more like they are moderately likely to rule in favour of the Scottish government, as they generally tend to do. Yet, this thing, Boris Johnson can't keep saying no forever. He can try, but it just doesn't work. It's not sustainable. It's not democratic. And it just isn't viable as a long-term strategy. Just in the idea of Boris Johnson and political pressure, I wonder whether, like, I, 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 hear the, I hear the idea that Boris Johnson can't say no forever, but I do wonder whether he can, because he has no political pressure from Scotland, really, to, to push for a referendum, because the Conservatives have essentially no foothold in Scotland. There's not much that Scotland can do that will affect their voting base, that will affect their power in Parliament. What political pressure is there really for Boris Johnson to say yes at some point? There's all the arguments around democracy and decency and sensible sensible ideas, but... None of which have ever affected Boris Johnson in the slightest. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And it's one that I don't, I don't have an absolute answer to. Um, I, I, I like the idea that politically we can just wear him down, but I agree it's probably not hugely likely. And he's unlikely to be supplanted at any point. Certainly not with the current direction of the Tory party. Um, really, you're probably looking at legal pressure. You're looking at international courts forcing this, which, which is why the pro-independence pro side does have to bang on about uh, being a democratic, decent thing to do. It's why all the groundwork is being made now. It's why we're banging on about this so much, because eventually that will all come into play in the legal case to force them to allow it to happen. Because that, that's that's the only way I see this happening, unless Boris Johnson just decides, right, I'm fed up with you guys. Stop annoying me. That still does seem like a bit of a Hail Mary attempt that the Scottish government is going to sue the UK government to be allowed to hold an independence referendum. I mean, what happens if the answer to that court case is, no, you can't hold an independence referendum? That I don't know. That's, that's the issue, isn't it? Um, I, I wish there was an easy answer. It would be, I'd, be, I'd, I'd love to hear an answer if anyone has one. But yeah, that's, that's, that's a problem that will have to be dealt with by folk who are much more in the know. Certainly than me, probably all three of us. Well, listeners, if you're listening and you know the answer, do <laughs> contact us. <laughs> We'd love to know. We'd love to hear from you. And I think I'm going to wrap up the podcast just there. So before I do a little conclusion, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Adam from The Student and Samuel from Fresh Air Radio. Thank you so much for coming, guys. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you haven't already, please do check out our previous episode of this Paper Tele Sound series, as well as EU TV's Welcome to My World series, the student newspaper, which is available in print and online, and Fresh Air Radio, which is available online. Stay safe and stay tuned. Thanks for listening. <laughs>